I think art blocks have inspired a 10x, if not 100x of people that are interested in making art generatively. And guess what? Just like with any other art form, in your first year of sculpting, I bet you that there's some homogeneity of like what everybody can make. Right. And the same thing happens with generative art with a few people that become kind of like these excessive outliers that just like either hit it with like a topic that really resonates with a lot of people or something magical visually that like no one's really thought of before. Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is the one and only Eric Calderon, also known as Snowfro. He's the founder and CEO of Artblocks and one of the most well-respected figures in all of Web3. Eric is a genuine human being, one of the nicest people I've met with a big heart. He's an inspiration to many of us and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I asked him questions that he doesn't normally get asked. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. First of all, Eric, thank you so much for being here. You are uh, a legend. <laughs> I think it was because I said, yeah, it took me 20 years to, to do it all of a sudden, right? Like, so I'm guessing that's a little bit your background. Were you always into arts? Has, has arts been always a thing that you were super interested in? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I that's an interesting question. So I've been, my, my grandfather was an artist, he was a painter. And so I've always been kind of like surrounded, even from a young age, by him and by his art. And um, and then I think the closest thing I had to art growing up was my brother, who actually um, very much is a master with his hands on, you know, um, paper, sculpture, et cetera. Someone that ended up studying art and even uh, taught art. Uh, and so, you know, exposed to art through through him and his, you know, uh, appreciation for it. Um, I got really excited at a young age with collecting comic comic books and comic cards, which, you know, in a in a weird way is kind of also an art. Well, not in a weird way. Like it also very much is an art form. It's just an art form that's not looked at as much as like fine art as it is more just kind of collectible or storytelling. But yeah, I mean, I I I don't know that I grew up necessarily wanting to be an artist but i did grow up wanting to make an impact like wanting to like be able to like um be uh, a person that that could influence someone's day in a positive way and what i discovered you know kind of as the confluence of blockchain technology and connected networks and then on top of that just my experience as being an artist for a couple decades um that there was an opportunity to do that through all of this. And I think that's kind of where I really um, realized the power, the sheer power of what art can be and uh, where we are today. Awesome. Now, maybe to give you a little quick overview of sort of my background and the, the perspective from which I'd like to chat with you today. Um, you know, I'm a tech philosopher. I studied philosophy of uh, science and technology and political science. And uh, I've always been super interested in how technology is changing uh, society, what technology actually is. Um, and I've written a book about the future of work that was um, that came out in 2020, just in the middle of the pandemic. And, and I wrote it during 2019. And when I was writing about AI and how AI is going to disrupt everything, nobody was talking about it at that time to the degree that people are today. So, so that's always been on, on top of mind for me. And uh, one of the things that people always said about, um, you know, how AI is changing society, they were like, okay, so in the end, there will be nothing left for us to do but create art, which is kind of uh, ironic because actually art is the one area one of the areas that has been most disrupted by AI. In a nutshell, the way I see it is that, you know, we always think of technology as a, as a set of tools and techniques that extend our abilities. Um, this, is, this is how we have always thought about technology. I don't necessarily think that's the correct way of thinking about it or that's the only way of thinking about it. To me, technology is a life form in itself. And it's co-evolving with us. And, uh, and it's now getting to a place where it's potentially superseding us. Uh, so, so that means that we have to rethink all of that stuff. So we, in the past, we would think about, we are going to use technology to create art maybe. But now, what if 
technology is using art to express a whole new life form. That's pretty deep. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things. So, you know, I, I actually think it's interesting how technology has advanced as its own kind of form. And I think that's a really good point that you're making. I mean, I, I often get to speak because uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying to help people understand that what for a long time was the most cutting edge technology, which was making something higher resolution than it already was or um, bigger than it already was or lighter. Eventually, those things get to a point of diminishing returns where it's like, well, you know, as a human, I don't need a higher resolution screen. Like, I lo I'm looking at you on the screen. I I'm pretty sure you're about as high resolution as you would be if I was in person. And um, where technology has shifted, but for a while, it was just kind of like an under under kind of spoken thing is that technology has shifted to enable the average person to make things that they could not have in a previous era done without either expensive machinery, extensive amounts of time, or um, significant amounts of education. And to me, where you see everything in technology from cell phones, you know, starting as a really big thing into this little thing to, you know, being able to uh, pack more data into a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller form factor, all these, you know, technological advancements, I, I believe the technology at that same pace is happening, but in a more intangible way in that technology is facilitating things for humans at that same pace, um, but uh, enabling humans to do things that they couldn't do before. And so what, you know, that tool set is, is um, more and more accessible to more and more people. So even, you know, I was, uh, I got to meet actually in New York a couple of weeks ago, the guy that founded or one of the founders of MakerBot, you know, and I remember 10 years ago, I did a Kickstarter campaign and I couldn't, I could not injection mold the piece I wanted to make without like a very expensive, very intricate um, mold for a very inexpensive piece. And instead I was able to buy two MakerBots, which were not cheap at the time, but I was able to produce a thousand pieces. Um, significantly less cost than if I would have had to go through the whole molding process. And I think about, you know, how accessible that felt back then. And today I can buy a 3D printer for $100 and produce those pieces at twice the speed, less expensive plastic. Um, the, the, just the accessibility for the average consumer to make something just got faster with ChatGPT. Back then, it was Google, but Google took you to some forums that a bunch of nerds were talking about how to like do the thing. And then, you know, over the course of the last 10 years, YouTube and other platforms like that have become the instructions for how to do anything in the world that you can think of that you want to make. And then, but all of that, you have to kind of read or watch different videos because everybody has different approaches. And then you have ChatGPT, for example, that essentially homogenizes all of that information into a packet that you can then ask it to make it even easier to understand and further refine. And I don't see humanity like taking advantage of that. Um, but I also didn't see a lot of people 3D printing 10 years ago or even this year. And so I think it's just a matter of getting the technology to a point of accessibility where it just becomes as second nature as it is for me to print a part that breaks on some weird device. And I, if I can like recreate it, I can print it. Like that is actually very second nature for me uh, operating uh, on a blockchain using technology for transactional you know like ethereum transactions is just second nature to me getting what chat gpt does to a point of second nature to humans is when we're really going to see like an explosion of um of the technology and when we're really going to see what the opportunity is for um for the technology itself to kind of um, have its own life and 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 run off and and it be us instead of pushing the technology forward, maybe like actually trying to rein the technology back. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really incredible um, thing. And, and I think we're just kind of at the forefront of it now. We are living in a very, very interesting time. Um, you know, the way I see it is like the uh, the, the changes that's, that are happening right now are, or this evolution is even bigger than when we went from reptiles to mammals. You know, that's, that's, that's how big a jump um, it is. And it's happening so much faster. And that in, in some ways is frightening, exciting. I'm personally really grateful to be living in this time, even though this may be the last, <laughs> you know, for, for us. But you mentioned something about um, the accessibility for average 
person. The the one issue that comes uh, with that, and I, I can tell you from, you know, uh, my experience of running a community now, oh, where a lot of times people get, uh, you know, send, send me a message and say, hey, you know, I've spent the past few weeks worked on this art project and they send me something and it's just so hard to differentiate and things, you know, like everything is like you can, you know, the piece that you did for proof, right? So you, you just put that, um, you know, beautiful uh, pot pottery and you took a picture from above and that became like, you know, uh, an important piece of art that, that people spent tens of thousands of dollars buying. Um, so now with AI, so many people feel like now, you know, they create things that are indistinguishable in terms of how beautiful it looks. So I guess the biggest question is, as a uh, art buyer, how does one value it or, or evaluate art? I think this. I mean, I think this is a really, really great question. I think it's something that we're kind of discovering as we go. This look, I I think a lot of people in the NFT space, I think, see AI as like dangerous because it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much more art. I mean, the same thing happened in generative art, right? Like we. Uh, we're a bunch of nerds that like to make art with code and some people were way more advanced than others, but we were all doing it for such a long time. And then like, I think Artblocks and FX Hash and other platforms have inspired a 10X, if not a hundred X of people that are interested in making art uh, generatively. And guess what? Like when you're in your first year of creative coding, there's a homogeneity of what is created. There's a few people that are going to like have a, a crazy debut and they're going to create something truly magical in their first year. But just like with any other art form, in your first year of sculpting, I bet you that there's some homogeneity of like what everybody can make within their first year of sculpting, drawing, et cetera. And the same thing happens with generative art with a few people that become kind of like these excessive outliers that just like either hit it with like a, a topic that really resonates with a lot of people or something magical visually that like no one's really thought of before. Um, the the art created through uh, AI, and you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. You have two form factors here. You have A, the form factor of AI helping you write code so that you can release a generative artwork, which is something that then gets split into two. One, the people that are using AI to simplify the process of writing code to create something visual. And two, the person that's going to use AI to help them create the content, like the visual content, right? We're really just concentrating right now on the people that are using AI to help write code. And because AI is still a very homogeneous Cool, where it is taking the inputs of and the information and the and the creativity of the masses to create the things that it creates. Same thing with like Midjourney. You have people that are using Midjourney uh, for inspiration on then what to paint, what to draw, or people that are using Midjourney to produce the final piece. Where my mind kind of goes, and I don't think I'm correct here by any means, but this is just you know what I am assigning value to is is humanity, and um, you know, this, uh, this is not a plug for like royalties, but like, this is, this is something that, you know, I, I get to speak on lately, this concept of royalties where royalties kind of keep the artist involved, involved, like, you know, the artist either needs to spend time engaging on Twitter or they need to spend time creating their next artwork so that they can pay rent. It's one or the other. So do you want them engaging with you and like having conversation and like going deep into their artwork, uh, instead of having to produce more work? And if so, do you want them traveling to the conferences and bringing you some really cool Po app that they made so that, you know, they, you can prove that you were in the same room as this artist that you believe in their career or you, or they changed your life because they made an artwork that you made a lot of money on, like wherever you are on that spectrum, it doesn't matter. And, and the, the technology that we're operating on this blockchain rail, this NFT rail is empowering that kind of human digital interactivity, interoperability in a way that brings value and authenticity to art. And so, you know, if an artist is uh, being forthcoming about everything that they create is being created with Midjourney, look, you get to know that artist in person and you start hearing about like where they come from and where they're getting this idea for prompts and how they shape those things and they make an impact on you. And then when you look at the works that they're creating, something they literally just typed words into a box to get, if that is appealing or impactful to you, then that has value. And that has both sentimental and potentially long-term financial value for you. And that's for you to navigate. But the fact that all of this is created on an undercurrent 
um, or the rails of cryptocurrency with authenticity and provable ownership of a digital asset, et cetera, enables, enables us all to connect as humans and add value to what a human is making, regardless of whether they're using the tool of the AI interface uh, to help them generate an algorithm or whether they're using the tool of AI interfaces to create a visual output. And you know, there's a spectrum there in between. I, I had an interesting week of consensus and having some very deep conversations. And one of the things that came out of those conversations was this concept that like, you know, this weird tokenized world that we live in, uh, you know, while it all kind of has these underpinnings of just being um, about FOMO and speculation and, you know, like uh, all of the all of the kind of madness that we that we deal with. Um, it's also like potentially this underpinning ability to connect people and to normalize kindness in a way that maybe we didn't really have before. And I think AI is going to support that. And I think um, just like people's participation in the space is going to support that um, by having a this proof layer, which is what we're all operating on in the blockchain space uh, to begin with. So, yeah, there's a lot more to that, I think. Um, but uh, I think the experiences that I've had in my kind of journey in Web3 hinted like a massive opportunity for the ethos in this space uh, to normalize kindness, empathy, and respect. And if you have those things as normalized and you get people excited about those things and people are excited to come meet me in person at an event and have and make a friendship bracelet with me, then uh, the content itself actually becomes a little bit less critical than like the connection. The content is what creates the connection between the individual. Uh, it's what creates and inspires conversation, but really what adds the value to that content is gonna be the human being behind it. Because you're right, you can't distinguish between AI and things made by hand anymore. But, uh, and you know, there's gonna be a lot of artists that are gonna be additive and there's gonna be a lot of artists that are gonna be extractive. And there's gonna be a lot of artists that are gonna say, I made this by hand, but they actually had it entirely made by AI. But guess what? Like artists, have done that in throughout history. There's been like, you know, disingenu disingenuous uh, dialogue between artists and their collectors. Uh, but for the most part, the ones that are most successful in communicating their, their vision and their kind of like uh, where they come from, something that I think is still very hard for ChatGPT to reproduce, to like fabricate, are gonna be the ones that are gonna be able to have value assigned to them, both as people and, and the artwork that they create. You said something very beautiful there. I, I wrote down that sentence. You said content, the content is what um, creates the connections and that's, that's what matters. Do you know the imitation game? Uh, so Alan Turing, uh, he said uh, that, uh, imagine a scenario where I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably not, not doing it justice, but essentially a scenario where there are a group of people uh, in a party and uh, everybody's in a room. They send uh, two people, a man and a woman, into another room and there's like this game right and the guests uh, have to ask questions of uh, the man and the woman who are now uh, in the other room and they put the questions uh, from uh, underneath the door and then these people can answer in written and you never know whether the person who is answering the question is a woman or the man right so this is is called the, the imitation game and and essentially what he's trying to get at uh, what alan turing is trying to get at is that the ai could get to a point that it can convince you that it has emotions and if, if it can convince you that it has emotions, does it matter whether it has emotions? And I think this is where in our quest for optimizing, and we are always optimizing, we are trying to optimize everything. We're going to optimize relationships. We're going to optimize, like, you know, I see myself now, sometimes I write an email and then uh, I, I give the email to ChatGPT and I'm like, can you make this like, you know, uh, less angry or less whatever, right? you know. <laughs> less angry. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, not angry. Well, I'm not really sure. Angry, right? Well, maybe. But you know, like, uh, like maybe, like, make it, make it. Okay, give you an example. Like, I, I applied for a, for a grant. Um, and uh, within uh, there was a question about, uh, uh, are you open to having a co-founder? And and I replied, um, no, because I work better alone. And and uh, ChatGPT said. Uh, suggested that I don't write that. <laughs> what did it say? What did it say? It was like, it suggested that instead I say that, um, uh, you know, currently that we have got all of our team, everything is sorted, you know, but, but in principle, maybe, you know, <laughs> you know so it made me write a, a much more, um, you know, diplomatic answer, right? And, <laughs> and I was like, uh, so, so 
so the truth is that like now we are getting to a point where even those relationships yes you can you can uh create uh, you know that that the art is about creating that connection but there will be a time uh, or there probably is already a time where um you know people are using these um uh, technologies to even imitate the 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 relationships have you come across any examples of these uh, or can you see a scenario where this can be used so that people can maximize it uh, for for their gain because let's face it a lot of artists are actually introverts but they probably prefer not to <laughs> not yeah. to connect i haven't i haven't run across it too much i know that there's a lot of twitter responses that are ai or that people are kind of attributing to being made by ai um i i feel like my interaction with this uh this weird world that you and i are both kind of navigating is um it's just it's just very much fly by the seat of my pants. I mean, we just, you know, we between if we're not traveling, we're literally back to back calls in between travels. And if we're not doing that, we're trying to maybe like, you know, I have a, a couple young kids and trying to spend time with the family or even just see my parents like or even see my friends that like seem to just kind of end up at the bottom of that stack. Like people that I used to spend, you know, two or three times a week with like that just you don't see anymore. And so I haven't entered into a level of engagement like direct engagement other than being in person and the occasional tweet and then just working with my team that i think exposes myself to um a lot a lot of what that is and you know i do get a lot of emails and they are getting better and better at like kind of almost tricking me into like want to read what it is and you know usually i often uh if, if an email doesn't have a click to unsubscribe button you, you know i'm usually marking it as spam at this point just like i feel like it, it's it's uh, it's unsolicited and you're not, you know, and the only link is like, here's my Calendly. Um, I do think that I, I get the impression that chat GPT is helping people find what's going to, what's going to make this person react or what's going to make, you know, more people react as a whole. But, you know, again, you know, I'm not, I'm not one making decisions for my team. So like we use for tax accounting software, et cetera. And so, you know, I just forward these things onto the team and, and move on. Um, I think that people will use this for their own benefit um, a lot. I just, the question is going to be, you know, what is someone going to consider to be appropriate and what is someone going to be considered to be inappropriate? And given the breadth of like this technology and how we're just only getting started, I think, you know, someone making that decision or somebody like trying to differentiate and say, this is right and wrong, I think is a mistake for the same reasons that like, you know, a lot of things that happen within blockchain technology, it's like you insert the human decider and that ruins everything. The whole point is the black and white code. The whole point is like letting the technology do its thing. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think that humans are going to be driven to be more productive than the average human can absorb. And so in a weird way, that that analogy I made earlier with like the technology being um, like we don't need higher resolution stuff because our eyes can't even, you know, we're. We're, we're as humans, we're not going to be able to handle all of the uh, information and all of the connections that are going to come our way as a result of like what chat GPT is going to empower the average human to be a superhuman communicator. And that communication is going to come from written or the arts like humans are going to become, you know, art, artists are communicators. They're communicating a vision, ideas, and like they might do it by making one painting a year. Generative artists could make, you know, one algorithm a year but can reach a thousand people in that year because it's this automated process of making content a million people whatever it might be and now chat gpt cannot just automate what the outputs are going to be but also automate the process of creating the outputs and soon automate the process of finding engagement from people that want to get the outputs and i think where this is all going to just kind of explode and potentially fizzle away uh for for another like moment of reflection until like it comes back again is the moment where we realize that like you know you as an artist your chat gpt is actually just your your ai is only talking to a bunch of other ais which is scary because that is the future that we're all kind of scared of like the computers just become autonomous and the only thing that we can do it's like is just be in person you know and i don't know i guess the day that i get a, a zoom invite from you know AI to have a podcast and the person on the other end is just as convincing of a human as you. And I don't even know that I'm talking to AI the whole time. And it's like, a, it's a bit, you know, that I assume that that will happen. 
um, at some point. And at that point, we're just going to be as humans, I think, just very defensive of our times and, and, and probably cherishing in person, in person, like, you know, touch more than humanity has ever cherished it, because that'll be the one thing until the robots look real, um, which is also inevitable. <laughs> it's the one thing that we know will be true. And, um, you know, I, I last point on this, like, you know, I talked to my wife, who's, you know, my wife has had to uh, put up with so much shit for the last two years, like since starting Art Blocks and just kind of the madness of what it's been. And, you know, it's been pretty impactful for my family and in a lot of great ways, but also in a lot of rough ways, like the last couple of years have been rough. And, you know, I, I you know, I talked to her and I'm traveling and she's like, you know, at, at what point is there like a point of diminishing return, right, with the amount of people you're talking to? Because the, the other day, you know, we just kind of like had a moment of silence realizing that I had probably spoken to 100 people that day like 100 individuals that day and there is limits to like what a human individual can communicate and do and like you know what point is there a point of diminishing returns and like i'm sitting there thinking well i think with what's happening with technology what's happening with ai i think there is no point of diminishing returns i think that's going to be the only thing that we have left for a while um, until we kind of figure out what the final end state of this whole ai revolution is going to be that's going to be guaranteed to be meaningful and, um, you know, back to the idea of capturing value, um, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, this world has turned into a, a world where people are excited to, um, you know, have one on one conversations with me. And like, when I do a presentation or a talk, there's like a, a line of people that want to talk and, and, and catch up and uh, have me sign stuff and take pictures with me. And, and the, the, the value here is going to be in the fact that I'm out there. And I'm meeting with these people because these people, um, just like I was during the pandemic and, you know, even post pandemic, uh, are now and for even ever more will be questioning what is reality and what is not. And then that that moment with like a human in person is going to be that thing that they know is real. And that will assign value to the things that that human creates. And, the you know, I can't make a squiggle by hand for everybody, but there's 10,000 squiggles and 2,800 holders. And. Um, you know, that even before AI was a precursor to kind of this ability to make a connection with people, but every now and then they're going to need the real person there to like validate that this is still like a human operating. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is deep and I'm rambling, but yeah, this is, these are really, I think, important questions and, uh, really, uh, for me is kind of helping me process and understand like, well, why am I on the road 60% of the time? Why am I not spending time with my family and my kids? And it's like, you know, I, I feel I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. Uh, oftentimes, I, I hope that founders that have taken a dollar from anybody in Web3, whether it's VCs or collectors, feel the same weight. I don't feel that they feel the same weight, which is why I feel like I have the extra weight. Um, and, you know, trying to like figure all of that and for the ecosystem as a whole on top of like this emergence of Web3 uh, and, you know, how it intertwines with AI art is just, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to think about. And I don't think people are asking the questions like you are. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, thank you. Thanks. That, no, I, I, I really appreciate your, your very thoughtful answers. You, so, so you say that you're feeling this weight on your shoulder. Um, I really relate to that. You know, for me, uh, I even decided not to have children because I feel like the future of humanity is so uncertain and and I'd rather focus my time on the people who are already here uh, and uh, you know do what I can to um to help as a transition architect um and and, and to try and make sense of these deep questions and and to try and you know uh, get other people to think about them so with this weight that's on your shoulder what are you trying to achieve like you know if I was going to explain in a sort of short sentence what I'm trying to achieve is that I feel like this technology is going to create a lot of opportunities for pain and for uh, also a lot of opportunities for uh, relieving pain. Uh, and I, I would like to be able to make a contribution to maximizing happiness and minimizing suffering. And that's, that's my goal. And I feel like I, I understand this technology very deeply. I've thought about it for many, many years. I've, that's what I studied. And now the time has come, like all of the things that I have thought about for years, we are getting towards this singularity and the singularity being this point of no return, which is like a, the, the depth of a black hole that we, that we don't know beyond which what's what's going to happen. 
So what is the, tell me more about that weight on your shoulder. What does that mean exactly? And how are you dealing with it? Well, there's, there's a couple of different layers of that weight, right? Like, so I have lots of different layers. Um, one of them is my family. One of them is my team, you know, just making sure that uh, the team that I get to work with at Artblocks and also, you know, I still kind of have a foot in the door at the, at the tile company that I started 20 years ago and making sure that those people are in a good place and they're happy and navigating the future in, in as positive a way. Um, what is going to benefit them and every artist and every collector that, you know, has, has taken a, um, a chance, whether they're collecting art because they love it and they want to hang it in their, in their house or whether they're collecting art as purely as an investment or wherever they fall within that is, um, you know, understanding that this space, we're sitting on, a, I think, a technology that's just truly revolutionary and truly, um, uh, I, I, I just can't imagine what society looks like in the future where we just decide, yeah, that was fun, but let's move on and let's go back to like pen, pen and paper after using like, you know, uh, such powerful tools. And I'm talking about specifically like NFT, proving ownership of a digital asset, blockchain technology. Um, where the biggest weight I feel like right now is that I believe that people are not within our ecosystem are not really thinking what does it look like to demonstrate the value proposition of a digital asset beyond scarcity or utility in the form of like, you know, future value, you know, utility is one thing utility by, you know, doing an airdrop is another thing. And, and uh, you know, to me that that's disqualified from like showing the average consumer why there's value in this because the, the average consumer can also look from the outside in and see that you know those things definitely at some point come to an end or will only go to a select few etc um and i i think there's a ton of value in what we're doing that's beyond just like speculation and and scarcity but it's really to me the biggest nut to crack in terms of like trying to demonstrate that and the reason that it's such a heavy weight is because you know, within our ecosystem, you know, we are just seeing more, it's just kind of like with the generative art, like there's more and more art. And so there's more and more art to, to, to uh, put out there into the world. And same with the technology, like the technology attracted a bunch more people. And so there's more and more people looking to make more and more money, but there's less and less people participating actively in the ecosystem. And there is a finite supply of money there. Um, and you know, I, I understand that a lot of projects might be launched today that have been in the works for two years since 2021 during the frenzy. People started thinking about these things and now they're trying to launch it. They've raised money. They've, you know, they've had serious upfront costs to get to a point of where they're really, so it's like, we can't stop people from making new products and selling new things. We can't stop, uh, you know, organizations within Web3 to, from pivoting from one thing to the other because, they, hey, they have a, 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 a team uh, also to support and make sure that they can make their payroll. But what we can do is we can really like dedicate time, like excess amount of time and focus to demonstrating why this would be appealing to somebody outside our ecosystem. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I feel strongly and have a couple projects in the works that are uh, meant to be as inclusive as possible and not cater to like the direct, you know, kind of speculative nature of our ecosystem and, and, and demonstrate value, like, Hey, that's a cool product. I want to buy that product. Oh, it's got a digital part too. Great. Like, uh, you know, oh, that's a cool hat. Like, you know, people consume stuff all the time, every single day, uh, because they they look at something like I want that and they buy it, not because it it has to be connected or part of this larger thing. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, understanding, and this is where like really consensus was a great moment um, with 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 uh, conversations with some really great friends is like. There's, there's an even higher level to all of this, which is like that this tech, like understanding that the, what we have experienced if in terms of interconnectivity as a result of like these digital objects uh, and authentication as a result of these digital objects is an opportunity for humanity to um, like grow as well. Like uh, it is a significantly more digital culture and it will continue to get more and more digital, especially as AI kind of like takes a, a bigger step. And so, AI is not just about people making things, uh, whether they make them as authentic or not. It's about helping people automate the process of creating. I mean, it's just everything is going to get easier. Uh, I was able to create a website, you know, with ChatGPT the other day. Like instead of writing the HTML or firing up software, I gave it some bullet points and it made a website. Like it just makes it easier for people to make, to put their word out there, to like um, and to consume. And uh, I think that 
the the underpinning technology of provable ownership of digital asset um, has brought out a it has brought out it has brought out who people really are and in some cases you know people hide behind a pfp and they do things that they probably wouldn't do irl both good and bad right like some of the some of the intense flipping kind of like the the just gnarly like completely does not care about the art or the artists um you know in person if you were in a room with the artists and you were watching the artist's face and like you know maybe you wouldn't do those things and so and maybe you would i don't know i i, I just think that you know the pseudo pseudo anonymous kind of nature of this ecosystem allows people to to participate in ways that they wouldn't do in person and so on the one hand you have the things that feel a little gross maybe and um you know uh people can do under the guise of anonymity but then there's this other side of it where there's people that are doing things that they wouldn't do that are kind like there's a certain amount of like being kind that is looked upon weirdly in our world like being being kind is not necessarily i mean you know especially at least you know growing up in my like world of growing up you know and i grew up in a relatively kind environment but like being a nice person wasn't wasn't an attribute that people looked for um when you when you have these like thousands or hundreds of thousands of people participating in twitter and some of them are rising to the surface because they're just like ruthless traders great like you have every right to do what you're doing within this ecosystem and some of them are rising to the surface as being like genuinely nice people who might not feel comfortable communicating in that way in real life because of social norms of you know um, whatever causes people to just kind of be more robotic in their lives or just more uh, thick skinned like I think that there are people that are coming out of this also as individual and then they and then those people come to events and they have like really meaningful dialogue with other people and like I don't know I just I don't know another industry where like the first time you meet someone you're hugging them like because you've known them on the screen name you know for such a long time there's something happening here I don't I, it's only been two weeks since this kind of came up but like there's something happening here where this technology is potentially going to give us an opportunity to normalize kindness a little bit. Like we're normalizing ruthless, aggressive trading. And as much as sometimes it hurts art blocks or it hurts art blocks artists or art blocks collectors, like the technology allows it to happen and trying to fight something, trying to like fight decentralization and embrace it at the same time is something that doesn't make any sense to me. Like you either, you either choose to participate or you don't. And so, but just like, you know, for every good thing, there's a bad thing. And for every bad thing, there's a good thing like that intense ruthless kind of trading that you know um in some cases brings up the value of everybody's artwork and gets the new york times to write articles about it which maybe they would not have and maybe we would not have had a whole new entrance of people as a result of that is also kind of giving people the freedom to express themselves in ways that i think that they would be uncomfortable expressing in real life and then as they have built a reputation within this space of being like these kind individuals on Twitter, these thoughtful people that are writing thought pieces, these Twitter threads, and then in real life, they, they they start to like let their presence be known and who they are, and you realize that these people are really kind people as well. And I don't know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to like focus or trying to understand an idea around like you know the the upside of the pseudo anonymous nature, and then when all of those veils get taken down like those humans are still there and, and they're more comfortable and more confident in themselves as as, as good people i agree with you i, I i've always thought that um, blockchain technology has a potential to solve some of the problems of uh, ai you know ai is is going to homogenize everything blockchain technology can potentially enable us to differentiate uh, a little bit more and, and you said something about the intense trading hurting artists um let's dig a little bit deeper into this i feel like there's not enough education happening about this i feel like we are not talking about it enough oh you know where we are talking about it we talk about it with with passion and emotion because um you know uh and, and it's not just the artist it's the creator because this is like it can be any kind of creative. Right. It doesn't have to be like art. So we minted our uh, Genesis Pass for 0.1 ETH and then it went up to just over 2 ETH at some point. And then uh, people were trading uh, on uh, Blur, not not paying royalty, etc. And I was like, um, well, that's not fair because when we minted, it it was such a small mint anyway. Uh, But then 
I was like, yeah, um, I, I'm going to ban it, you know, if, if you do it without. And then after a while, I realized, okay, it's just not, I can't fight it, you know, forget about it. Let them just do whatever they want. So I bought my proof fast at 74 ETH and then um, they changed their um, model and the, the, it went down and I had to sell it at a lot lower. But that was my company money. It wasn't my, my money. It was, I, I bought the proof fast to go in with a view to I'm going to build my network because I'm based in London. I don't have a big network in, in Web3. I'm going to go in there and build my network through there. And it turned out that that's not what the community was about. And, and you know, this is the problem that one of the problems I'm trying to solve, right, with our platform to give people more of a visibility of what a community is before they decide to buy it. Right. At that time, I wrote an email to Kevin Rose and Justin and, and you know, like I talked to them directly, but but because it's on the blockchain, people can see it. People start posting on, on Twitter, oh, Somi sold her uh, pass and didn't pay royalty. And like, of course, they don't know the conversations that I've had and, and, and like the the relationship that maybe I have built with the team and, and all that. And Kevin was like, you know, like uh, basically I'm bumped. It didn't work out. We were going to work together at some point in the future. He was like super nice about it. So there's this this issue with the kind of culture that we are creating because uh, people can see things on the blockchain. So uh, maybe as a as a final uh, question, your exact words were intense trading hurts the creator. So so tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, how is it hurting? I mean, sentimentality here is is such a, a subjective thing too. But look, it it's on the one hand, you have people that are tweeting. Like I have, I have like these favorite accounts that I follow that are just freaking awesome. That like one of them, for example, tweets the first and the last mint of every project, right? And who holds that mint and tags the artist. And then like, there's dialogue that happens and people are like, oh my God, I remember when I bought that, or I remember the moment or the gas war, it was such a shitty, whatever it might've been. And so, but like, there's, there's dialogue and there's like this wonderful thing that web three is kind of back to what I said earlier, like normalizing this kindness and this dialogue and this beautiful thing and on the other hand there's people tweeting about your work as poker chips and they're literally like i'm gonna go sweep the floor on this thing uh, you know uh this tweet will age well watch when i sell all this stuff in in, in a week there's nothing wrong with that but it's very hard for an artist like to be perfectly okay with both conversations. I'm not, I mean, I think some artists are okay with both, right? Like I've, I watch squiggles be treated like poker chips all the time and um, I'm desensitized. And I think there's a level of desensitization that artists were not prepared to have to get into. Founders were not prepared to have to get into that level of desensitization when they decided to start a company. You know, um, the, the, the fact that you as a human can, can like thrive on the beautiful conversations about the art and like, you know, when, when people get into real dialogue about your art, um, inherently makes it difficult for then you to watch a different group of people treat your art as a pure commodity. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like it, it's the, the, when I say ruthless trading, it's like, look, and you know, I, I got to do a presentation at consensus. I got to talk about these four different personas. One of them, is the patron, then the collector, then the speculator, and then the flipper. And honestly, the, again, the flipper has every right to be here and do what they need to do to participate. The flipper was not even looking at the art before they listed it on OpenSea. In some cases, I remember this is like pretty beautiful uh, in terms of just like understanding the mechanics. Like a flipper would not see the art and therefore did not realize that they minted a very rare piece. And potentially would sell it to then the speculator one step up the one that understands the art and actually looks at the art still might not care about royalties and man not care about the artist but at least spends enough time the flipper may have paid 0.1 ETH sold it for 0.2 ETH to someone who then immediately sold it for 10 ETH because it was like some super rare trait like if the if the flipper got caught up on that they would miss out on the instant kind of like inefficiency of the market that they are trading on the, the, the thing that's hard for the artist isn't that that's happening, it's that it's being gloated. It's that those people then accuse the artist of charging a transfer tax. And it's like, I think that's really where the problem is, is when people start shaming people for doing the things that they're doing. Look, I probably have shamed in the last two years and just as I try to understand the complexities 
of how people are operating in the ecosystem. You know, I have shamed the people that are flippers because not because they were making money on the art, but because they were they were stripping the joy of minting from the people that actually gave a shit about minting. Um, and the reality is all of those people have a place here. Everybody's entitled to participate as much as they want. And, you know, bottom line, it's up to the creator to provide that value proposition, to encourage people to participate. Now, where we're where it's really tricky is that if you started today and rewarded people as a creator today for people that have, you know, that that start paying royalties moving forward today, you leave out all the people that have paid royalties for the last two years. And that's a shitty situation. If you go all the way back to the beginning, there are people that have purchased a Chromie Squiggle, especially now OpenSea, for example, you don't even know if you're paying royalties or not because they don't make it obvious to you that you're like, like royalties are optional. So if the seller added the royalties, you'll pay the royalties. If they didn't, you don't. The only way to know is to open the transaction on Etherscan, which is the least anti like towards adding new people to this ecosystem. Like you can enter this ecosystem as a patron, someone that really cares about the art and the artist and be a bad guy in some in somebody's head because you bought a squiggle on OpenSea and didn't even realize that you were not participating in the patronly kind of way. And that's shitty too. Again, like this goes back to shaming and like punishing people. We shouldn't be punishing people, but at some point we need to have fresh start. We need to have like a fresh situation where we say, okay, everything that's happened up until now, some of it good, some of it rough, whatever, we have to be able to press a reset button and say, okay, now look, if you believe in me, if you believe in my career, if you want me to, after a intense one hour, you know, speech at a conference where I'm exhausted and I've been practicing for two weeks, sit there and wait in line to let 10 people come up and talk to me and share whatever their feelings are, whether they're pitching me on a project or whether they want to show me their squiggle and talk about like what it means to them or you know, it, it's just absolutely insane to me. Like we're in a situation where I have now had over a hundred people walk up to me and tell me I have changed their life. Some of them because I enabled them to make a bunch of money because I created art blocks. Some of them because they're artists and now they get to do art full time. Some of them because it brought them out of depression because like they found something that they could get excited about by participating in this space. Like there's some value there as a creator, as a founder, even as a collector that I've added to this ecosystem. And then you choose whether you think that value is such that you want to support it by making, you know, this social contract, because it's an entirely social contract of supporting me with royalties as you move forward. Mm -hmm. And um, there's no shame if you don't. But at some point, when there's a venue that can only have 200 people, and only 200 people have paid royalties, and the other 1000 that might want to go to this event have not at some point, you have to be able to say, Okay, look, like, these this venue cost me X amount of money to rent and I have to pay for the catering and I have to pay for the production. And so the costs of that are being floated by the people that are supporting me ongoing with a secondary market royalty. And without that, I can't post this event. And so if there's a thousand people that want to go in only 200 spaces, I need to prioritize the people that are ongoing supporting me with royalties. I feel like that can be a very simple concept to understand where you're not punishing people, you're just saying, look, like there, there are limits in, in I, I, mean, I remember in 2020, 2021, people would mint tokens. And if you had one token, that was 30 minutes of like one-on-one -on -one time. You know, I can't remember exactly who did this, but a few different people, I think Mark Cuban might even have done this. I don't know. But like, you know, people would mint this token. And it's like, okay, you get 30 minutes with me. If you have this token, if you have two tokens, you get an hour with me. Like there is also a value to the amount of time that we dedicate ourselves to this space. And maybe people that think royalties or transfer tax would be perfectly fine with my exiting of the space and I have no interest in exiting the space. This is the most thrilled I've ever been in my life in a thing that I've gotten to do and participate in. So I'm not going anywhere, for, you know, um, better or worse. But like, I do think that my presence in the space is value add. I hope that it's value add. That's literally like what I wake up in the morning and think, okay, I need to add value because these people are excited and they're participating in this mad experiment. Um, and, and, and I think there's this, a reciprocity there that I think is really important. And I think you choosing not to pay a royalty when exiting proof is your decision 
as to as to how you did it there are um you know uh, a, a lot of situations like that that happen on a regular basis and i think you know i think the hardest part is asking someone to say that's okay is just as hard as someone saying that that's wrong i think it just needs to be this is how people participate this is how you show on chain immediately yeah. publicly this is the side of crypto that you can't get away from like this is how you demonstrate on chain that you needed to exit this situation and that is recorded you know and yeah. that's and just that was literally to... the only time i have ever not done it and i let them know and it was very clear why because it was my company money i sure. bought in for a specific reason it didn't work out you know and, and i had the experience that i had um it does make sense though that royalties should be paid by the buyer not by the seller because the seller has exited is the buyer uh, it would make more sense no not not if you're a patron i mean it just th th this is the thing no, nothing is the right thing to do but the 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 right thing um is going to be controversial no matter what i think you know there are people that bought a chromy squiggle for $20 that are selling them for 15 to $40,000 that that yeah are so then it makes sense yeah. that that they are saying hey you know what like thank you for your participation in this space snowfro but like i'm keeping the entirety of this $40,000 of value that you created for me fine like that's yeah, I, that's I know fine yeah, yeah. but like and then you know and then people say well when i'm when i'm when it, when the price is going down i should have to pay royalties it's like well i mean my wife and i are in the middle of selling a house that we're going to sell for less money than we paid for it and guess what we're paying all the fees and the realtor fees and all the things we don't have a way to get around that we could if we wanted to do it all ourselves we could just list it ourselves title it figure out how to title it ourselves there still would be some fees but it wouldn't be the six percent that we pay what what does it mean to do it yourself in this space? What does it mean to say, I, I appreciate why you're here. I appreciate why I bought your project. I'm sorry that I'm losing money on it. So I'm just doing it myself. I'm exiting. Like, I, I think it's just a controversial thing. And, and again, I think if we can extract ourselves from what's right and wrong, because you know, the blockchain is what's right. Or, the blockchain is deciding what is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, these operator filter contracts that, you know, enforce royalties to me as much as it would be supportive to artbox and all of the creators like feels wrong because it en enables a human to intervene and make decisions of what's right or wrong yeah point is we humans cannot be arbiters of what's right or wrong look at the political situation in the united states humans are not capable of deciding what is right or wrong we are divided on issues that in for example in my mind are just so crystal clear but for every person like me that is that feels like that issue is so crystal clear in my favor or my direction, there's somebody out there that feels that the issue and humanity will continue as we become more and more connected, will be, will continue to be more divisive. There's just no way around it. Everybody's gonna become more stubborn and more uh, dogmatic and, and, and more controversial. And ultimately what I think is so beautiful about this technology is that the blockchain does not get swayed by humans' decisions of what right or wrong. And so the blockchain permits you to operate without paying a royalty. You are fucking entitled to operate without paying a royalty. And if something happens in the future where you realize that, you know, like, for example, there's um, there's like five or six projects right now that are ranking collectors by like how often they pay royalties for NFTs, right? Like, if you're not in that top 10 because of something like that, like, that is, and, and somebody does a mint for free for the top 10 people on that list. Like, yeah, you'll probably be disappointed, but you know exactly why you were not on that list. Yeah. And that was your decision to not be on that list. I would hope that you celebrate the people that are on that list. But again, like, who, you know, that I think, so anyways, the technology is black and white. Let's keep going down this path. Humanity isn't. And humanity is not. So if we sign a contract with this technology that is black and white, let that be black and white. Let's not shame people. Let's not shame people for MEV bots or for or for creating meme tokens or for paying royalties or not paying royalties. But as this ecosystem evolves, we will see transparently who the people are that are most interested in X, Y, Z. And I mean, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about this, like there are people in this ecosystem. And I think just as just as much as if three years ago, you told me that this crummy school, which I had been at that point working on for a couple of years, was going to generate hundreds of millions of dollars of secondary market sales. And like people were going to go crazy for these things. And I would have been like, yeah, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there are people today that are talking about art, that are like tweeting about art, that are engaging about art, 
that in three years, five years, may be curating some of the top art institutions in the world. And today you tell them that they'll be like, whatever, I'm just, this is my hobby. I, I build homes for a living. Like, you know, you know, this, this is just this thing that's happened a lot, but guess what? You've built a reputation as a patron, as a supporter of the arts, as someone that activates dialogue. And, and in three or five years, who's going to be the biggest expert at, at generative art? Who's going to be the biggest expert at like NFT power, digital art? You are. And on top of that, your reputation on the internet, on this black and white blockchain will demonstrate that not only have you been talking about the art, but you have also been in every step supporting the arts. And, you know, let's say one day the MoMA hires a uh, one of these kind of nerdy collectors like we all were uh, or puts out a job offer for like a high tiered curation position. I would hope that they would look at transaction history as part of the deciding factor as to whether this person is a patron of the arts or understands careers for the artists or understands like, I would hope that that would play a part of it, but we're so far from those things actually happening that right now it's just about the bottom line. And um, I think it's going to be easier for people to understand over time where the true value accrues. And it's, it's not going to be in the royalties that are paid. It's in the reputation of how you interact and you operate in this ecosystem. I, that, that value will also be black and white because it's on chain. And that value is something that people will, I think, I think some people will thrive on. You're going to have reputation whales, people that have just like this crazy reputation of how they've operated in the space that supports artists. And, you know, um, and then, yeah, you're going to have a whole spectrum and, it, and, and everybody's welcome. That's super interesting. That just made me think um, on our platform as we are building these, um, you know, uh, you connect your wallet so you can see which communities you're part of. We could have a ranking of like how, how uh, you know, how much of a Patreon you are of, of the, the space. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been shared some of these platforms and I look up my address and I, and according to these platforms, I have not paid any royalties for the last, you know, six months and i'm like okay yeah so i do i've i've gone even even on a transaction that was done on OpenSea, like i've gone and manually paid the royalty you know to the platform or whatever uh so i know that i'm paying the royalties so i know that these platforms are still not quite there yet there but one day you're going to be able to type in sofro.eth and you're going to see every single transaction that i ever made and be able to double click into how that creator that platform because this is not just creators this is platforms you know, you, you had a membership token, right. Or have a membership token. Like there's a, there's a, there's a royalty that helps you throw events, host parties, or give, uh, 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 gifts. (laughs) Well, and pay the team, et cetera. All the things that that, that come with that, like there's, um, there's going to be ways to track down who the people are that were the most, not, we don't care about the people that were not supportive. we just want to celebrate the people that are supportive. Positive reinforcement. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. This has been this has been so much fun. It's been you're like I said, you are a legend, and uh, you, you know kind. we always we always learn from you. Will you be at VCon? I will. Will you be at VCon? Yes. I'm oh coming. my gosh, you're gonna fly back for that? Oh yeah. my goodness! This is my gonna be my third trip to to America again in oh, in like man. six weeks. It's it's funny. Like I think for a while there, the kind of the Gary V VCon concept was very much like kind of business inspirational, motivational, kind of like how to be an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, it, it, it was very orthogonal to like this concept of collecting art or generative art. But like, we all realize now that we're filtering into like such a small group of people that whether they came in to be like, to hear business inspiration or collect generative art, like there's blood in the streets, everything's a shit show, but these people are still here for whatever, even if they were like the ruthless flippers, for example, like they're still here. They're still here. And they're, the conversation is a lot less noisy. If you can really kind of extract the the opinions and really kind of focus like what can add value to the space and we, we can zoom in on that and focus on it and really kind of like dig into that for how to, how to bring this technology forward. I, I think that, you know, it becomes a really good example of that. Like there's a lot of people traveling from all over the world uh, in a really rough time. Consensus was a really good example. Like it's a really rough time, but here we are. And we're excited about this technology that I, I, I said this on a, on a, on a, on an interview last week. Like the reason I'm here has not changed not one bit. Like I'm more excited today, maybe than I was in 2000, actually for sure, because in 2021, my life was hell, like just because our box was exploding and it was a total mess. Um, 
I'm more excited about this technology today than I was before. So, you know, if, if that can communicate to people and they can understand that as someone that's been here since 2017, collecting JPEGs and like participating actively in this space, not one ounce has been lost in what I consider to be the value proposition of this ecosystem. In fact, I think it's even more exciting than ever. And uh, yeah, Vcon will be a really good place to go and share that. Thank you so much for your cool. time. And yeah, of course. Thank you for your time. I All appreciate right. you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eric Caldron, aka Snowfro. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. His handle is Art on Blockchain. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching it on YouTube, please consider subscribing, which will really help me and the channel. We are also giving away prizes to people who post a comment on the videos and leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify. Make sure to join our mailing list on MP to learn more about our contests and prizes.